The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. All right. Hope you're feeling peaceful now. Uh, my name is Jason, by the way. Uh, one of the pastors here with these folks at Artisan, with uh, uh, Scott and Mike, two of the other pastors, and this whole crew here. And again, welcome. Uh, glad you can be here worshiping with us. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, we finally hit bottom with David. We, uh, on our fallen journey with uh, King David, uh, fallen and broken, we still found some reason to hope there, I, I hope, towards the end of that. But really, this week is when we want to uncover more fully how through the story of David, God speaks some hope into David's life, certainly, but also through David's life to us, which is part of the just fascinating story of this, from my perspective, anti-hero of the faith. David, not a lot to recommend him, which is probably why God used him. So we would get a clue about how he might use us. Um, But this week we want to uncover more fully what this hope that we speak of here at Artisan in the Christian faith, what that hope is based on. Uh, That it's not a false hope or some kind of empty hope. That it's certainly not cheap or easy. But that it's a hope that puts down deep roots. And though life uh, is fallen and broken, as we've spoken of the last couple weeks, uh, that hope while it may bend a lot, doesn't need to break. And so, I want us to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll jump right in there. It's uh, found on page 245 in the Red Bibles, if you're using those. And what's interesting is, in the uh, course of events that we've been doing in this series, David, the Fall of a Man, this actually comes before the last two weeks, those incidents of that unbelievably... Uh, just disturbing fall that David experienced with Bathsheba and having her husband killed and the incredible mess he created. And then the brokenness that came out of that, you know, for the next generation as, as his children became adults and, and there's all this inner family turmoil and Absalom, his, at that point his eldest son, uh, because he'd killed the other eldest son, Absalom did, uh, some incredible brokenness. This These words of hope come before that, which I want to kind of put out there. It says less about the order of hope and more about how God's hope is always present. It's not this linear thing that after a series of events, we finally arrive at hope. It's before, it's during, it's after, whether we have a clue about that or not. And apparently David, not terribly bright, um, but here's where those seeds of hope were planted. And so, follow with me. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll just start with verse 1 through 3. It says, Now when David the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, this guy who was his confidant, uh, the person who would speak into his life, David shared his heart with, with Nathan and said, See now, I'm living in a house of cedar. But the ark of God, that ark of the covenant where God would manifest his presence in that 
incredible way. The ark of God stays in a tent. It's like we're all in here air-conditioned, enjoying, well, barely air-conditioned, enjoying 78-degree temperatures instead of 89-degree temperatures. And there's a tent out there, or there was, left over from the wedding yesterday. And that's where all the kind of the communion tables out there in the weather and the birds and the squirrels are getting at it. Uh, David's saying, the ark of God is in a tent. And here I have this lovely cedar house. And Nathan said to the king, verse 3, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. So what's going on in David's life? He's experienced God's grace, and he wants to respond. And his impulse, I think, is right. It's one of gratitude. God, you've done so much for me. How can I respond? And fortunately, he has someone like Nathan in his life to encourage that. We need Nathans in our lives, especially as later on things go off the rails, um, though those weren't invented yet. It goes terribly wrong. Uh, the wheels come off the chariot, whatever the metaphor is for those people. And Nathan has to speak some hard words into David's life. But here he gets to speak words of pure encouragement. What you want to do in response to God, go for it. And yet, there's a cautionary note that will show up here in a moment. But we've seen it happen where our, our desire to show gratitude towards another person or particularly towards God has a way of getting twisted. Remember, fallenness leads to brokenness. We're all fallen, therefore, we're all kind of broken. And what may start out as a good impulse and the best of intentions can be twisted. And David might be in danger of Taking God's grace and saying, yeah, maybe I didn't earn it. That would be the first mistake. But now that I received it, maybe I can pay it back. God, what can I do for you today? So we have to be cautious of that. And God, being God, knows how these things can go wrong. And so he speaks into the situation. And interestingly enough, he speaks to Nathan first and has Nathan bring it to David. Often, the voice of God in our lives sounds a lot like that parent or that spouse or that good friend or possibly a pastor. Let's not get crazy, but maybe God may speak through those people. And God speaks into David's life through Nathan. He says then in verse 4 through 7, it says, but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house? To live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved among the people, all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Did I ever say, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Why have you not? So God has never asked of David or anyone else, you know, could you build me this, a cedar hope chest to kind of keep all your memories of me in? Because he knows as soon as we start building things to put God in, it's going to go terribly wrong. Did I ever speak a word saying, why have you not? And that phrase, 
Why have you not? Did any of you hear that ringing in your life in different places? Maybe from the point of, of David where he starts with gratitude for God's grace, but then the enemy speaks, our own sinful nature, the din of the world says, wait a minute, why have you not? And then fill in the blank. Anyone have that voice echoing? Why have you not done more? Why haven't you achieved more? Why have you not fixed the mess you've made? Why have you not done more with all you've been given? Why have you not? And we can hear that voice and make the mistake of thinking it's God, especially when we're trying to do for God what God can do for himself. And so when I was was thinking about this, how do you discern the difference? Because God does sometimes speak, in fact, often speaks into our lives and says there are things to fix and change and do better at. You know, he's not just some, you know, absentee parent uh, either. He's intimately concerned. And so I was thinking, if, what do I hear in my life that doesn't sound like God? You know, why have you not been a better father? You know, when I hear that, I'm not all of a sudden more hopeful. In fact, I feel a little more broken and fallen because I'm not the best dad I could be. But when I hear, why have you not let me help you be a better dad? Then I know where that one's coming from. Why have you not gotten a better job? Versus... Why haven't you let me show you how to be fulfilled, figure out your purpose, reveal how I've designed you? And there's a tone and just a slight subtle difference that I think lets us know whether it's God speaking those things into our lives or something else. And so that's a great question to ask (laughs) or to hear and discern, is that coming from God or someone else? And God's clear. I haven't asked you to do these things for David. And so God's going to speak through Nathan some words of comfort, really. Some words to let David take a deep breath, breathe deep that peace, and not feel like he has to go right back to the grind of earning it. But they're going to be words of slight course correction also. And so verse 8 to the beginning of 11. It says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And God says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. An evildoer shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Now we have to be a bit careful. This is David's story. And what God is speaking in David's life 
doesn't necessarily mean he's saying that directly to us. One of the cautions when we read scripture is we can apply things that, well, don't apply. But much like a parent, a good parent, might handle different children in different ways, just saying from experience, uh, often it comes from the same place and the same desire for those children, and you sort of want them to end up going in the same direction as well. And so while David's words from God may not be directly for us, you can kind of tell the kind of father God is. And so we can apply some of that direction, that course correction, those words of hope. And so one question we might ask of of our relationship with God, whether we think we have one or not, or where that's at, is we might ask, where's he taken us from? Where have we been that God's hand has been at work? You know, he said to David, I took you from the pasture. He said to me, I, I plucked you from the potato field where you were being raised by bears. You know, and here you are with the folks at Artisan. Can you see where God has been at work in your life? Or do you wish he would take you from where you are? That may be important to ask also. Before we get all kind of hopeful and pretend that things are just fine, are we in a place we wish God would take us? He's done so with David. So there's hope that he can do that with us as well. And in that little section there, there's this earthly picture. Though I, I don't like that term a whole lot. It's more temporal or here and now. I don't like how we often make this dichotomy between heaven and earth that really the Hebrew way of thinking and the Christian scriptures don't divide those. We've been influenced more by Greek Platonic dualism. You know, write that down, go look that up, but that's not biblical. (laughs) But in the here and now application of this, there's this picture of a new Jerusalem. And there was going to be a fairly soon realization of what this was saying with King Solomon and Israel being at its height. Um, But it also looks ahead to this idea of a new heaven and earth where the affliction is truly gone, where God's pervasive, holistic peace, what the Hebrew scriptures call shalom, is really at work. The rest is real. And what we might do as we're kind of reflecting on this, is instead of focusing on the why have you not questions, again, that we usually impose on ourselves, maybe we should ask, God, where have you been? And I know for a lot of us that are involved here at Artisan, probably many of you in this room, that that question, God, where have you been? doesn't start out incredibly hopeful. In fact, some of us are afraid to ask God that question because there's just the tiniest bit of respect that we still maintain towards God, though it's almost gone. And we know that if we start asking God, where have you been, it's going to get ugly. And we're going to start just unloading. And of course, we need to be careful because God has very tender feelings. 
He breaks easily. Um, no. In fact, if we don't ask those questions, and if they need to be angry and accusatory, we never get to the hope. In fact, we stay stuck like what we talked about last week. And so, God, where have you been? And it may be kind of ugly. God, where were you when the abuse was happening? Did you care? God's got to answer that, doesn't he? And if he doesn't have an answer, why would we listen? Now, God may say, I was there while the whole thing was going on. And it broke my heart to see my gift of free will used that way. But if I was a puppet master with the abuser... What would keep me from pulling your strings also? And so where was I? Feeling the pain. Where was I? On the cross taking it in. And where am I now? Bringing you through the healing. Those don't always seem very comforting though. Let's be honest. But if we don't ask those questions, God, where were you when, when my plans for college because of money and my screwed up family and I didn't get the grades I needed, the scholarship fell apart and they all fell to the wayside. Where were you? Where have you been? And he at least says with David, I have been with you wherever you went. Hmm. And so the end of verse 11 to the beginning of 14. It says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. How did this whole thing start? David's going to do God a huge solid and build him a house, right? Because God, you know, he's getting rained on. You know, the sun's beating down. Who? Heart's in the right place. Not terribly bright, though. It starts with David wanting to build something for God. And God says, appreciate it, but here, I'll make you a house instead. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. And he shall be a son to me. And so again, there's these two levels of of things taking place, of interpretation there. In fact, if you're flipped open to a Bible, which I hope you do, and you check on us here, you may notice that I ended that verse in a very convenient place. The lectionary does also, the folks who kind of put that together. Because the rest of verse 14 talks about, I'm going to beat that kid with a stick, or, you know, however they soften it up there in your Bible. But, um, and so there's, there's both the, uh, the temporal here and now application that, that does play out with Solomon, who's the most amazing king Israel ever saw, uh, and was also incredibly screwed up. So kind of put that all together. But clearly Solomon did not establish some eternal kingdom. And in looking back on this, 
know, the people of God and the early church saw God speaking of a sun that rises above the rest, Jesus. That he would be the one that would establish the throne of his kingdom. And that God would be a father to him and he would be a son. So who will build the house? Well, we should probably be careful that it's not us. We should instead let it be God. And so as we've uh, made painfully clear these last three weeks, we're fallen, we're broken, and if we just leave it there, there's not a lot of hope. David is a disturbing picture of someone who was chosen by God, who had everything at his disposal, and yet, just like us, started to make a mess of it. But God's provided hope. And the prophet Ezekiel speaks to this hope. And you can just listen along and follow along. Ezekiel 17. But it's this odd little passage. But let's be honest, a lot of scriptures, odd little passages. Where the symbol of hope in this passage in Ezekiel is unassuming, it's not obvious, it's insignificant. It's in fact just a, a tiny little sprig. And in Ezekiel 17, verses 22 and 24, here's what God says about the hope that has deep roots. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the top, the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. In order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it, every kind of bird shall live. In the shade of its branches will nested winged creatures of every kind. Will nest winged creatures of every kind. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree. And I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will accomplish it. And so, it may be self-evident, but again, most things that are self-evident, we have an amazing ability uh, to miss the point. And so God, here in Ezekiel, says, only I can build a tree. We're thinking, well, sure. I mean, we can graft some stuff, do some genetic, you know, manipulation, but let's be honest, we don't quite understand how it all started anyways, so we're just coming after the fact. Only God can make a tree, which should be obvious, and yet we never apply that to all the other things that only God can do. And David thinks he's going to build for God what only God can build. And see, when we build for God the, the things that only God should be doing, when we try to build a house for God when he wants to build a house for us, when we try to make a name for God when God's 
completely able to make a name for himself. It often goes bad. And so, so when we set our hand to, uh, to making things, we are rather skilled, let's be honest. But when we make a tree, here's what we usually come up with. And we marvel at the nice, you know, 90 degree angles. I'm an artisan. Look what I made, right? But only God can make a tree. And so if we're left to our own devices to make up for the lack, instead of letting God make up for it, it always ends badly. And so thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, as it says in Ezekiel, I bring low the high tree. And so the things we build that get in the way of our relationship with God, that actually stifle the hope, thankfully, God lays an ax at the root of those. And it says he lays low the high tree and sends that crashing. But then we still have this dead thing that we're left with. And if that's the best that we can make, and it is, if that's our offering, and it is, what can God do with that? Where's the hope in that? And so, can I get just a, a simple volunteer? <laughs> that sounded wrong. A uh, very clever volunteer, um, you know, above average, whatever you want to call yourself. Just someone from maybe the front row of each section that would come and grab a basket here and just pass that through to everyone. Everyone can grab one of these. Uh, Ah, some peer pressure there. And so God says, I bring low the high tree. But then what does he also say? I make the dry tree flourish. And in the most unlikely of ways, he breaks off that little unassuming piece and says, I can do something with that. I can plant that somewhere that it will flourish. I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will accomplish it. And so here's what I'd like you to do. This little sprig, fairly unassuming. And again, left in our own hands, this will just, you know, dry up and die. Um, By some miracle, God might do something with it. And even in a place of death, you know what dead things are good for? They're great fertilizer. They're a place that you can plant something and then just hope that something might grow. But let me ask, for some of you here, you have a sense of hope. Maybe it's small and insignificant, but it's there. And you may want to spend some time as we're responding, reflecting, kind of just celebrating the fact that you do have some hope. And maybe identify that. Where is, where are you hopeful? Where have you found God at work in some small and unassuming ways, in things that are surprising you, in that they're starting to flourish? But for some of us here, 
you may not be feeling a whole lot of hope. And so the question in prayer for you is where do you need hope? And whether you're hopeful or in need of it, I would suggest that you just plant that prayer. Because if you try to take that hope and make a tree, this is what you end up with. But if you let God take it, and he might snap it off, do something new with it, and you let him plant it, then there might be some hope. So during our response time, be a time of silence, you are welcome as an act of just physical prayer. Because sometimes just thinking about this stuff uh, isn't quite enough. We need to do something. We need to get up. We need to interact. And you may choose, if you're uh, seeking to follow after Jesus, to, to go to the communion table, which is that beautiful picture where all the brokenness and fallenness begins to make sense. In fact, it, it's unraveled and reversed. That bread that's a, a sacrament of Christ's what? His broken body. That cup that's the sacrament of his shed blood to make up for our fallenness and our brokenness. You may want to take and tear that and dip it in the wine or the juice. In fact, we'll have some folks serving that. Um, but before you head there, whether you go there or not, plant those prayers. Whether you've been following Jesus for, you know, since the age of one, <laughs> or you're not even sure there is a God, see what hope you might find in God. You may want to come here first before you, uh, excuse me, you may want to go to the communion first before you get your hands dirty, but there's some water here that you can wash up with. Um, but I would encourage you uh, to spend some time in reflection and then plant that prayer. And then we might see, not in our own, own lives, but in the life of this community, what hope might flourish. So continue worshiping as God leads you. And uh, those who are going to help serve communion, you can go get started. Uh, and I'll join you in a moment. My prayer is that in all this, the words of brokenness and fallenness that we've uh, looked at these last few weeks, in all the dead stuff and mess that life is, that God's been speaking and that you might find some hope in him. Respond as he leads you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.